And I want you to think this question as we begin. I want you to think, what is your goal for wanting to be free of your stubborn sin? What is your motivation for killing sin? And this gets to the heart of the matter. Why are we struggling? Why should we struggle? And perhaps why are we not struggling to kill the sin that might be besetting our lives? Here's what I want you to see for today's lesson. God's ultimate purpose for delivering us from habitual sin is to transform us into the image of Christ from the inside out. This is the big picture. This is what I want you to see this morning. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn to Romans 8, 29 through 30. Romans 8, 29 through 30. We're going to look at a couple verses to show you how comprehensive this is God's purpose. He wants to transform you into the very image of Christ. This is his ultimate purpose. So look at Romans 8, 29 through 30. Here's what it says, New American Standard. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to do what? To become conformed to the image of his son. We get all hung up on predestination. We get all freaked out on predestination. Look, the purpose of predestination is to conform us to the image of Christ. You say, well, I don't believe in predestination. You just cut yourself off from the greatest hope of becoming like Christ. Because this is what he's predestined us to do. So that we would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Two things there. First of all, sanctification is not mentioned because... Sanctification involves us, and he's talking here about the guarantee of the goal being accomplished. It will happen, and it ends with glorified in the past tense because God's purpose is so sure in the future, he can talk as if it's already taken place. That is the goal, to be conformed to the image of his Son. Turn to 2 Corinthians 3.18. 2 Corinthians 3.18. If there's a key verse for this lesson, it would be 2 Corinthians 3.18. Romans 8 tells us about God's predestined purpose. 2 Corinthians 3.18 gives us the sanctification, the process. Look at 2 Corinthians 3.18. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. Formed into the image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. There we see a process. It's a process. It doesn't happen all at once. One day we're going to be in his image, but for now we get transformed, looking at his glory, from glory to glory. How does it happen? We worship what we become, what we worship. And so we behold Christ and we become like Christ. Now turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 tells us that the, the practicality of it, okay? We have the predestination of it in Romans 8. 
we have the progression of it in 2 Corinthians 3. Now we have the practicality in Colossians 3. Look at 9 through 11. Colossians 3, 9 through 11. Do not lie to one another, since you have laid aside the old self with its evil practices, and have put on the new self, who is being renewed, there's the idea of progression, it's a, it's sanctification is a process, to a true knowledge according to what? To the image of the one who created him. We are being transformed into the image of Christ, into a new man, and God has done it. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man. In other words, Christ is all and in all. This isn't about who you are. This is about who Christ is. No matter where you are, in relation to your sin, in relation to the culture, in relation to your family, in relation to your struggles, Christ is over it all. Now, That's the idea. If you wanted to sum this up, God's purpose is to multiply image bearers that fill the earth. And let me show you that. God's image in the big story of the Bible. I'm just giving you a big picture view of this. How important is God's image? Look at this summary. God's God's image created in us. Genesis 1 and 2. God's image created. Distorted by sin happens in Genesis 3. God's image being restored in Christ from Genesis 3 all the way up to when Christ comes until he comes again. That is God's purpose, restoring his image in male and female in his people. And then finally, God's image finally glorified. It's finally accomplished. God's predestinated goal is achieved. And when Christ comes back, you'll either be taken up and transformed in the air, or the dead in Christ first will be risen and transformed, and we will be in His glorious image. So that's the whole story of the Bible. I just gave you the whole story. Now, what is the image of God? What is the image of God? If you were to ask me that, here's what I would say to you. God's image is what makes us uniquely human. Uniquely human. Unlike any other created thing. Whether angel, whether animal. If I was parenting again, I'd be honing in on this every single day with my kids. Every day. It would be a drumbeat. It would be a joyous chorus in our home. What makes you uniquely you and uniquely human is that you are created in the image of God. But what's that mean? What's the image mean? And theologians, they debate this, and there's books and books and books. Having studied it thoroughly, I, long ago I came to this conclusion. It's, it's biblical, it's practical, and it's helpful. Here's what image is. Humanity, male and female, have a unique relationship with God. The image of God is the ability for humans to relate with God in a way no other being 
can do that. No other created entity can do that. Uh, my theology prophet, Dallas, used to say, your dog will never pray to God. You'll never see your dog pray to God. And that's, all, that's image. That's the essence of image right there. Okay? Secondly, it's a unique role for God. We relate to God so that we have this role of representing God to the rest of creation. That's what you're to do. You are to represent God to the rest of creation, which now includes people who have a distorted image, and they need to see the true image in you, and even more importantly, through you to Christ. So we represent. So Genesis 1 tells us about the unique relationship. We will cre- uh, let us create them in our image, male and female. Genesis 2 tells us about that role we are to represent. Male headship, female submission, together a partnership that complements and complete one another. Man and woman in Christ represent to the rest of the world what God is doing. Third, a unique rule under God. Over creation, but under God. So, we relate to Him so that we can represent Him, and through Him, the image of God is to rule over creation. But we can only rule over creation to the degree that we stay under the ultimate ruler. And what happened in Genesis 3? They shook the fist. They blew him off. And they said, we know better. And they forsook their relationship. And they forfeited their representative role because they rebelled against his rule. This is the image of God. And yet, even in Genesis 1 and 2, this hadn't achieved everything. So here's how you can think about it. We have a unique relationship that should grow to maturity. We represent, our role is to represent God in ministry. And our rule under God is to multiply image bearers that fill the earth. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. So to sum this up, the image of God is a relationship that should grow to maturity. It's a role that should be demonstrated in ministry. And it's a rule that enables us to multiply God's image to fill the earth, even the Maconde people. We just prayed for them. Why do we want the Bible in Maconde? So that we can multiply image bearers among the Maconde people. So that they can know this one true God. Know why they are uniquely human. They don't have to be American. They can remain Maconde. But in Christ, they become what God had destined them to be. Woo, I could just keep going, but let's go. All right, now here's what happens. When you don't know this, or you forget this, you begin, you forget it, and you begin to focus on what is not God's ultimate purpose. What's God's ultimate purpose? Multiply image bearers. And we begin to focus on one or two aspects of this, and we get off of God's purpose, and we cannot, we cannot kill sin if we don't stay focused on God's ultimate purpose. And I intend to prove that to you this morning. Let's look 
at what God's ultimate purpose is about. Number one, God's ultimate purpose is not just about greater purity. When you hear the topic, killing sin, some of us immediately hone in and say, Oh man, i got a lot of sin to kill. I'm an impure person. I need greater purity. I'm going to focus on that. And believe me, it's a biblical truth. Be holy, for I am holy. I don't think you could have a clearer statement to say that a part of being restored in God's image is greater purity. Can I get an amen on that? Does that make sense? That is biblical. But, but, and, and I could read, I, I just, a lot of this is just verses to substantiate. You can do the study. But listen, when we forget that Christ is the exact image of God and that only in Him and through Him can we have greater purity that we already have in Him. If you're in Christ, you're already pure. So if you say, oh, I need greater purity, I have greater purity, my first word to you is a word of encouragement. You're already pure in Christ. And so we get a wrong focus. So look at the wrong focus. We get focused, the wrong focus is greater purity through keeping rules. When you get the wrong focus and you just focus on purity, you begin to seek greater purity through keeping rules. You think, here's God's purpose for me. Less sin, more purity. Less sin, more purity. And you begin to think about do's and don'ts. And you begin to think about rule keeping instead of relating. What's the first aspect of your image? A relationship with God. Rule keeping, is that's not a part of the image. Okay, that's not the focus. Don't touch, don't taste, don't look, don't listen. And by the way, while you're doing that, do these ten things really well. Hey, the flesh loves that type of Christianity. Remember how many times I've said, I I want you to get this. The flesh doesn't care what you do or don't do as long as you don't kill it. The flesh doesn't care how many religious rules you keep as long as you don't starve the flesh. In fact, the flesh loves rule keeping. So you can feel good about yourself sometimes by keeping rules. But turn to Colossians 2. Turn to Colossians 2. We're going to look at Colossians 2, 20 through 23. This is a topical study, so we're going to be in a lot of verses. We're not going to take them out of context, but look. Look at what Paul says. Colossians 2, verse 20. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world. So rule keeping is not Christian. It's worldly. Do you see that? He's going to tell us what the elementary principles. Why, as if you are living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees, to rules? And he says, such as, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch which all refer to things destined to perish. So you're looking at worldly things and saying, oh man, I'm going to not do all these, and all those things are going to die and pass away. 
In fact, Jesus says all those things pass through your body and come out. Well, I'm going to be nice this morning. But you flush it down the toilet all the time. Think about this. Oh, by not doing this, somehow I'm going to be pure. And yet, we, if, if we partake, it's just passed away. In accordance with the commandments and the teachings of men. Rules, God has rules. But they're revealed by Him, not by men. These are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement. Notice the focus on me, what I'm doing, and severe treatment of the body, but it doesn't touch the heart. It doesn't get to the heart of the matter but are no value against fleshly indulgence. This is why the diet industry will never cease to exist until the final kingdom. Because we're constantly, the flesh, we, we want to control our fleshly appetites by not eating this and dieting or exercising or all these things. Not saying those things are wrong, but they don't get to the heart of the matter. Right? And you all act like you've never tried any of these things. We've all struggled with these things, okay? Now, what's the fleshly danger? When you have the wrong focus, there's a fleshly danger, and this leads to legalism. A wrong focus on greater purity leads to a legalistic mindset. You say, Chris, what is legalism? Let me give you... The definition comes right out of the book of Galatians. Obeying a list of rules in order to get saved, stay saved, or to be spiritual. So you can be a legalist and believe salvation is by grace through faith, but then you try to stay saved by keeping rules. You can be a legalist and say, no, I'm saved by grace through faith. And I stay saved that way. But if I'm ever going to be spiritual, I'm going to have to keep a set of rules. So that's legalism. Okay, there's a simple definition. You be, and here's what happens in legalism. You get more concerned about defiling yourself than demonstrating love to others. So the Pharisees were legalists who were very concerned. I don't want to ever be unclean. But they were so separated by, from people, they couldn't show the love of Jesus. They didn't have an other focus. They were worried about their own rule-keeping and fleshly efforts. So, number three, what are the fleshly works? A focus on purity alone. And there's key words in this lesson. Alone. It's not that we don't focus on purity, but when you focus on it alone, you become too scrupulous. What's that mean? You fear defilement where none exists. Well, I can't go to that. I can't be around those people. What might happen? What might happen? You become too negative. You focus on how difficult the battle is. Everything is a danger. Everything is a risk. You become too pessimistic. You have low expectations. Okay, I, I, I don't think I'll ever become like Christ, but at least I don't do this. We begin to settle for a low-level sanctification. 
We become too morbid, which is worm theology. I am unworthy, gloom, doom, keep the rules or you die. And it's just, there's, you never, legalists are not happy people. Are you with me? Legalists are never joy-filled people. They're angry. They're, anyway, we just keep going. Too introspective. This is huge. Am I good enough? See, legalist makes you into a Roman Catholic because you're trying to work your way by keeping rules. Therefore, you never know if you've done enough. That's why if you ask a, a, a Roman Catholic, if you die, do you know for sure you're going to heaven? Nearly 100% will say, maybe, I think so. Why? Because it's based on who they are. And so you become introspective. And then too proud. Because you've lowered the standard, it's no longer becoming like Christ. It's keeping these rules. If you keep them for one day, well, look at me. I'm not like those people. Okay? And we become self-righteous. All right? So these are the fleshly works. Now, what's the deadly result? Here's the deadly result. Relationship. If any, some people don't even have a relationship with God. They think they do because they kept rules. A relationship with God without real maturity. This is why churches, fundamental, biblical, doctrinally accurate churches can be filled with people who are totally immature because they've been given a set of rules and they're like, well, I, I, I keep the rules. So that's enough. But listen, if the purpose is to be transformed into the image of Christ, I have never arrived. I keep going. I need to become mature where I'm walking with him in a relationship of love. Mature believers resist temptation not by keeping rules, but out of a love relationship. A love relationship. As I've told you, I'm working through an ESV journaling Bible. That, and uh, I have plans for it. But I'm going through it. And one of the things I'm doing is drawing a little heart every time I read heart in the Bible. That, my Bible, I'm in Ezekiel right now. It's full of little hearts. Because the heart of the problem is the heart. And so, out of a heart of love, that's why we resist temptation. So, God's ultimate purpose is not just purity. Well, okay, here's how the flesh works. Well, that, that, that Bible of his just eliminated purity as my focus. Let's move to performance. And that's the second thing I want you to see. Number two, God's ultimate purpose is not just about better performance. If I could just do more. If I could just be a missionary like the hills or a Bible translator in Africa, how much more spiritual could you get? If I could just do that, then I would be spiritual. Here's the biblical truth. Faith without works is dead. Is performance important a part of becoming like Christ? Yes, yes. Faith without works is dead. This is why Paul says to the Corinthians 
Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Be active. But it's not just that. It's not just that. If we forget that Christ is the perfect image, and only in and through Him can we achieve better performance, and we already have it. He's performed it all, and He did it sinlessly. He did it perfectly. Think about that. Everything that you ought to do, He's done. And He did it with the right motives, and He did it sinlessly, and He did it perfectly, and it's yours in Christ. But if you get the wrong focus, here's what you think. Just performing more spiritual activities for God. Here's what I'm going to focus on. Performing more spiritual activities. Boy, I came to church today at LifeBridge. I better get in a group. Should you be in a group? I think you should. I think it's a part of your sanctification. I think it will help you. But just doing it is not going to change you, okay? More spiritual activity. So, that's the wrong focus. Uh, makes me think of Matthew 7. Man, the, you talk about a chilling passage. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, they had the right doctrine, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does... The will of my Father. Okay, so I guess I am to be doing something. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not perform many miracles in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Relationship. We just got done talking about relationship. I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Well, which is it, Jesus? They're casting out demons. They're performing miracles. They're spiritually active in ministry. And yet they're lawless. You know who that reminds me of? In the Bible, well, yeah, Katie smiled. Yeah, me, I know, I know. It reminds us of us. But you know who it reminds me in the Bible? The Corinthians. The Corinthians had every spiritual gift and they used it like maniacs. They were constantly prophesying, uh, speaking in tongues, doing all these spiritual things. And yet Paul says to them, you're the most immature bunch of spiritual babies I've ever had to talk to. So what's that tell us? That everyone in this room ought to be active in ministry. If you're a Christian this morning, you should be involved in ministry through our church. If you're, if you're a part of our church, you ought to be in ministry in our church. But you can be in ministry in this church and even standing up right now teaching the new life class and you can be unspiritual. It's not what you do. It's what Christ has done for you. Big stuff. So, what's the fleshly danger? I guess I got ahead of myself. The fleshly danger is it leads to lawlessness. Now, this is counter to human reasoning. 
You mean the more spiritual activity I do, the more lawless I could become? And the answer is yes. This is why some of the greatest pastors in our nation can fall. And it seems overnight. Big churches, published books, podcasts, thousands, maybe millions listening to their messages. Because spiritual activity can be a cover for lawlessness in our hearts, which scares the bejeebies out of me. And I have no idea what bejeebies is, so if that's offensive, please forgive me. Do you realize the whole time the Corinthians were spiritually active as a congregation, they welcomed an insensuous relationship into their worship? I mean, I'm not going to pick on anyone here, but imagine a mother and their son sitting at a table here this morning, living in sin together, and yet we're ignoring that, accepting that, possibly even approving of it, and yet we're spiritually active for Christ. That's the danger. That's the danger. Okay, now, what's the fleshly works that come from this? You begin to see your ministry as proof of being spiritual versus your motives. You begin to focus on your ministry and not your heart motives. Say it with me. The heart of the problem is the heart. So if we focus on what I'm doing instead of what's happening in here, we... Can, we can think we're spiritual when we're carnal. And this is why in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says, be careful how you build and minister on the gospel. Because our ministries are going to be judged at the judgment seat of Christ. They're going to put through fire, and anything that is wood, hay, and stubble is going to what? And anything that is gold and silver is going to remain and be refined. You can never do ministry without impure motives. So it's going to be refined, but it will be eternal. But what he was saying to the Corinthians is, you guys are spiritually active, but all that you're doing is going to be burned up, and you will be saved as by fire. Man, Powerful stuff. So let me give you uh, uh, three things to think about. Three things. Here you go. Next slide. Here's what happens when you have a wrong focus on better performance. Confusing spiritual activity with with being spiritual. The more active I am, I must be more spiritual. No. And by the way, don't go to the other extreme. The less active I am, I will automatically be spiritual. I've been a pastor here for over 30 years. And you always get some people who will say, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pull out a ministry so that I can you know, focus more on Christ. 
Well, they never get back in ministry, and they don't become more like Christ. So that's not the answer either, okay? It's not about just your performance. Secondly, putting performance over obedience to the clear teaching of the Bible. And this is what leaders in ministry are tempted to do. Hey, don't, don't confront me about my disobedience. Look at all that I'm doing for Christ. Number three, forgetting that God looks on the heart and not just the externals. So what's the deadly result? Deadly result. We represent God without real ministry taking place. I'm in vocational ministry. Some of you are planning for vocational ministry. Hopefully you're all as members of this church involved in ministry. And and the danger is to think that we're representing Christ by being in Awanus, which starts Wednesday. We're representing Christ by uh, filling communion cups. Whatever you're doing in ministry, helping in the nursery, that by representing Christ, we forget that we may not be doing real ministry. You say, Chris, what's real ministry? Let's take a look at it, and it's there in your notes. Real ministry is sharing with others out of the overflow of your relationship. Ministry is God working in me for the benefit of others. Listen, you can't do ministry without being transformed in the image of Christ. This is Christ-likeness. This is why you get burned out in ministry. If you're not ministering out of the overflow of your relationship. This is what you're not ministering if you're not letting God work in you in order to share it with others, whether they be babies in the nursery or our senior citizens. I don't go every time, but once a month, I try to go and eat with our seniors to share with them and to learn from them and to benefit from them. So, if it's not greater purity, if it's not better performance, the flesh says, let's focus on power. Look at number three. God's ultimate purpose is not just about more power. Power encounter. Here's the biblical truth. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Listen, you're never going to become like Christ without the power of God. Is power important? Yes. But a wrong focus on power, here's what happens. Look at what a wrong focus on power becomes. A wrong focus. Finding the secret to miraculous experiences. One of the benefits of working with God for a long time, 30 years, over 30 years here, but 40 years or so walking with Christ since I was 17, is you've lived long enough to see the spiritual fads and trends blow through Christianity and even see them blow through our church. Now, if your church 
like our church good, has solid leadership, the fad isn't going to take over the church. But I'll have people, you know, have you read this book? Jesus Calling. Have you read this book? The Secret. Have you, have, you, have, you, have you had this experience? I go over here and I have this experience. There's whole denominations. You know, have you had the baptism of the Spirit? Have you spoke with tongues? Do you do things this way? You'll have more power. And so there's a whole lot of Christians who are always looking for the next experience. You ever known? Uh, listen, what I'm talking about, I, I wish I had time to give you all the illustrations. There's way too many. But this is what happens, okay? So, the wrong focus. And some, like the prayer of Jabez. Now, the prayer of Jabez, I taught a whole series on it, and it was biblical. But there's an unbiblical way. Pray this way, and you will be automatically blessed. The old motto, let go and let God. If you just... Here's the opposite of spiritual activity. If you just let go and just kind of wait, God will make you more spiritual. You know, while I'm waiting, I'm thinking evil thoughts. I don't know about you. Are you with me? It's like, well, in the meantime, I guess I can indulge in my carnal flesh because God hasn't. I'm letting go, but God isn't doing anything. Okay. Fleshly danger. This leads to manipulation. This leads to manipulation. If I do this, God has to do this. Prosperity theology. What are the fleshly works? It leads to these fleshly works. To, depending more on what I do rather than what God has already done and is doing. I mean, it's a focus on have this experience, do this. Treating God... Like he's your personal genie. Rub this lamp and God will grant you three wishes. Pray this way and God will answer your prayers. Have this spiritual second blessing. Speak in tongues and you will be holy. You will have access to the power that you don't have. Folks. We already have resurrection and power in Christ. Nobody can promise you greater power than what you already have in Christ. Got it? And then becoming too idealistic and pursuing perfectionism. Here's what happens. A lot of false theology has come through Charles West, uh, John, uh, John Wesley and through Pentecostalism and the holiness movement to say, if you have this experience, now... You are entirely sanctified. Now, what do you mean by that? Didn't you just lose your temper over it? Well, that's a little sin. Well, that's not entire sanctification. Okay? Nobody's perfect, but you can think you are. Here's the deadly result. Power enables you to rule like you are God by manipulation, but there's no multiplication of godliness. You're multiplying an experience that is unnecessary instead of multiplying Christ-likeness and reproducing. So multiplication 
is a result of reproducing a love relationship. You say, well, Chris, that's boring. Yeah, because it's not we think it's not miraculous. See, listen, I've been at this. I don't know, it's reflective time today. I've been at this for a while. And if you if you watch godly people, they're just steady. They're just steady. And they do the basics because they're focused on Christ and not the latest fad. What a privilege our church has had this last 24 hours to pray for a native, uh, a national translator of the Bible. But that comes from not glorifying Oh, we translated the Gospel of Mark. We raised money for the Gospel of Mark. Well, that's over a decade. They're still working at it. And we get to keep working at it. Are, are, you, are you getting what I'm saying? Instead of celebrating and then moving on. I was just blessed to think that we could pray for Jackie in that way. All right. Well, if it's not just about purity, if it's not just about my performance, if it's not just about more power, what is it about, Chris? Well, here it is. God's ultimate purpose is all about enjoying His presence. Enjoying His presence. And I don't have to publish a book to tell you that secret. It's right there. It's right there. Here's a biblical truth. It's in your notes. It takes purity. It takes performance. It takes power to restore God's image. But all this comes through a person. The presence. The power. The performance of Christ in you and through you and for you. It comes in the presence of a person. And so that brings us to 2 Corinthians 3.18 again. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. So what's the right focus? Here it is. God's number one goal is to be with us and walk through us, walk with us, through our lives. That's it. That's it. God desires a relationship by which He can help you to become pure, perform as Christ would perform, minister as Christ would minister. And to have the power of the resurrection. He wants to walk with you. And I could give you all the passages. Genesis 3. After the fall. Adam. Adam, where are you? Isn't it a beautiful thing that he didn't say, what have you done? No, he didn't say that. He said, where are you? Where are you? I miss you. You, I miss That's a beautiful thing. 
And he's walking. He's coming down and he's walking with them. And then it says later in Genesis, Enoch walked with God and he was no more because God took him. And God's like, Enoch, I just want you with me, buddy. Come on up here. I'm, I'm tired of walking with you from a distance. Just come on up. It's a beautiful thing. God has always said the promise throughout, you will be my people, I will be with your God. Spiritual delight. Spiritual delight. Not a fleshly danger, a spiritual delight. A focus on God's presence will result in three things. Greater purity, but in the right way. By keeping step with the Spirit of God better performance with the right motives to glorify and make much of God, not of me. The Corinthians were, look at me, look at all that I'm doing. No, make much of him. Look at him and more power for the right reason to exalt Christ who has overcome the world, the flesh and the devil. It's Trinitarian. It's right here. Does God want purity for you? Yes, but the right way. Does God want better performance from you? Yes, but for the right motives. Does God want more power? Does he have more power for you? Yeah, but he wants you to tap into it for the right reason. What's the spiritual fruit of this? The ultimate goal... And this is kind of the whole reason we did this lesson. The ultimate goal is not simply victory over sin. The ultimate goal is God himself. That's why you kill sin. You kill sin, not just to kill sin. But it separates you from God. I am going to conquer. I'm going to kill my sin and replace it with a closer relationship, greater power that come, that I already have in Christ, but sin, sin is separating me from it. And so I look upon him. Listen, listen to this. The whole time God is purifying us, enabling us to perform ministry, and empowering us to exercise self-control, His purpose is to reveal His presence in your life. The purpose is for you to be an image bearer so that people see Christ in you. Does that mean you have to be perfect? No, in fact, the opposite. The more you confess sin and repent of sin, may I use your story of house clean? I'm putting you on the spot. Can I use it? It's a great story. So Carmen uh, diligently, for God's glory, cleans houses. And one 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 of the people accused her of stealing a large sum of money. And they lit into her. I mean, they, can you imagine precious Carmen? They just lit into her. And, and Carmen had no way to defend or prove herself, right? But at the end of it, how many months, how many weeks? Two weeks later, the lady comes back. Uh, I found my money. But then, how many weeks later? Probably the next week. 
next week she comes to her after already saying, hey, I'm sorry, I found the money. She comes back and says, you know what? I've, I've, I know a lot of Christians, but I've never met one with that kind of attitude that you demonstrate. See, that, that's it. What was that lady saying without all the theology? I see your image. And believe me, Carmen's not perfect, okay? None of us are. But seeing the image of Christ. So look at the godly result. God's holy image being restored in Christ as we relate to Christ, as we represent Christ, as we rule under Christ as a church, fulfills our purpose as a church. Know, grow, show, go. Those aren't just words we picked out of the hat. Listen, if you know, the only way to know Christ is for His image to be restored in you. The only way to grow in Christ is to have a relationship with the image, the perfect image of Christ. The only way to show Christ is to truly represent Him in your ministry. And the, only, the reason we go with Christ if we go to the Makonde, we go and have a world outreach in October so that we can multiply image bearers in this world. So that's our purpose. I just threw that in. That was extra. I knew it put me a minute over, but I wanted you to see this. That this, this image, this image bearing is not a theology for scholars it's practical ways we become like Christ. It's how we kill sin. Big picture today. Soak it in. Let's pray. Father, thank you for restoring your image in us. Like Adam and Eve, we've rebelled. We've thrown off the yoke. We, we want to go our own way, and yet you called us by the gospel. And you've granted us righteousness, holiness, purity, resurrection power. Your perfect life has been given to us. We don't have to perform more. We don't have to strive in the sense of trying to be pure. We are all that in you. And yet, Lord, as we apply this lesson today, we can know, grow, Show and go. And like Carmen, we can represent you so that others see your image in us. Lord, may we kill sin that we can enjoy your presence that has already been promised to us in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. 